to experience you and know you and connect with you. And I pray, Lord God, today that you would level us up. I pray, Father, that our faith would become everything that Jesus desired and imagined and became for us. So I pray that your spirit and your power would enable everything that we do. And I praise you. Thank you for the music we've been able to gather around and sing together. And thank you for what you're going to do today. You're amazing. I pray that you help us connect with that at every juncture today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat, unless you don't want to. And uh, then you're going to look weird, but we don't care. So I know that Steve already announced it, but just in case you missed it, if you come to church here the next two Sundays, we won't be here. And it's going to be weird for you. All right, so I just thought I'd remind you that next two Sundays we're in parks. Evers Park and Green River next Sunday, Bunning Park, Labor Day weekend. Okay, so we're back in our series, Step Into the Water. And uh, this was a series intended to prepare people for baptism, but also to help every believer reconnect with what their baptism was about and what it means. And today, today we're talking about stepping into the fire. Now, any of you guys ever step into the fire before? Just give me a nod. Just, yeah, you've done that? So, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I should like preface uh, where I'm at today. Uh, what's happened in Afghanistan and what the church is going through there and in Iran and some other countries is just heavy on my heart. I'm always spiritually challenged by it. Because whenever I listen to, read about, or encounter persecuted Christians... I feel like I need to get saved. And uh, I just feel so far from where they are with Christ, you know. And so, uh, so today, if I, I don't ever mean to come across harsh, but I may preach it myself a little bit today. And so, uh, try not to get hurt. Anyway, so, baptism, step into the fire. Let's start with Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned. Say everything. everything. He sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned, say everything, everything, and bought it. There's something that the real estate merchant knew, the real estate investor knew, and there's something that the pearl merchant knew that we may not know. You see, in America we, and in the Western world, we, we live in a culture and a society that wants everything. We're always looking for the next thing. I mean, we're either going shopping for it or we're on Amazon having it shipped to our house in two days. I thought it was funny. <laughs> You're like, I'm scared of you right now. Mm, probably should be. <laughs> we want everything and we are ending up with nothing. We keep finding ourselves looking for the next thing, dissatisfied with the last thing. When are we ever going to learn that there's something that Jesus brings to the table 
that's worth more than anything else. That's actually worth everything. Because I think that's what the persecuted church knows that we don't. That one thing is worth everything and everything is worth nothing. Think about that. Chew on that for a while and apply that to our American ways of thinking. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3.7. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Say worthless. I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Somehow there is a way that is following Jesus that puts Jesus so high on the priority list, that puts following Jesus so high on the priority list, puts the church of Jesus, the bride of Jesus, so high on the priority list that everything else, everything else is not only subservient to it, but it's so far below it that by comparison, by comparison, everything else is worthless. So when we come today and we're talking about baptism, we're not just talking about baptism as a ritual in the river. We are talking about that because it teaches us something, but we're talking about baptism as a lesson and what your Christian life should be. It should be overwhelming. Your faith should be overwhelming. If you've got your faith nice and boxed up and you're in control of it and you can control when it comes out and when you use it and when you resource it, that's not faith. That's religion. That's pseudo-something. But faith in Jesus Christ, birthed by God the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is overwhelming. It takes over your life. We as Christians in the Western world, in America, have got to get this through our heads. I don't know what the future brings. I did read the last book in the Bible, and it looks like it gets kind of gnarly. You know what gnarly means? Gnarly, dude. You're like, Michael, you sound like you were in the 80s. I was. And so I want to... I want to challenge us today with something about baptism that is all-consuming. Because what I contend is that all of you are searching and looking for something, and you're not sure what it is, but you believe somewhere inside of you that if you see it and if you find it, you'll know then what it is. So I thought I would step into the story of a guy who gave us this baptism by fire concept, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of my favorite Old Testament prophets, and that's what he was, an Old Testament prophet. And I'm pretty sure that no one in any church today would let any Old Testament prophet into their church. I'm pretty sure. First of all, he's wearing leather and eating bugs. And uh, even chocolate-covered locusts does not sound good to me. And I... <laughs> love chocolate, but I don't think I like locusts. I don't know. So John got grilled all the time because 
he was an extremist, man. He was on the, the edges. He was on the fringe of faith, which is where a lot of times you're going to find God's people. They're, they're not at the center where all the pretty robes and the fancy ornaments are. They're usually on the edges trying to get everybody's attention. And here's John on the edges trying to get everybody's attention, and they ask him what he's doing, what's his role, who he is. And here's John's answer, Luke 3.16. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. So we get that. We know what water baptism is. We've seen it in its various forms, whether it's immersion or sprinkling. We baptized a guy with a five-gallon bucket of water one time because we couldn't put him under. We didn't want to sprinkle. We wanted to immerse, but that's the best we could do. I'm a Baptist somewhere deep inside of me, so that's just what we had to do. Can't get you a little wet. Got to get you a lot wet. (sighs) I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. Someone is coming soon. Now, you need to know at this juncture in John's story, he didn't know who the someone was. He just knew his word from God was that he was supposed to point out someone, but he didn't know who it was yet. So someone's coming who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals, and he'll baptize you, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's in the Bible. Every translation I know of puts it out there just like that. The Holy Spirit and with fire. That means your faith as Jesus intended it, should be a flame, not sopping wet. Uh, I love how the, the word baptizo, which is a transliterated Greek word, uh, I, I love when they translated the King James, they didn't want to make anyone mad. They didn't want to say sprinkled or immersion. So rather than fight that fight, they just transliterated baptizo into baptism. And, the, and there was a lot of argument about how it was going to be translated. But the, my favorite, this is probably because I'm a Baptist, my favorite definition or a correlation of the definition was actually found in an ancient Greek recipe. I think you might have referred to this a few weeks ago. And it was a recipe for how to make pickles. And that cucumbers had to be baptizo into uh, the brine solution or whatever it was. And then they became pickles. And I think that's hilarious as a Baptist because I know lots of deacons. (laughs) And most of them look dilled to me. That's not even a preacher joke. That's honestly what I think. It's not even meant to be a joke. So I've known some good deacons and I've known some dilled ones. So... uh, so John gets out there, and he's got a mission, and his mission is to, is to call people back to God. His mission is to call out unloving behaviors that are unworthy of God's covenant people. you got to remember, John is preaching to the nation of Israel. He's not preaching to the lost world at large. So his message is focused on a nation that are God's covenant people, and they're living in ways that are unworthy of sons and daughters of God, because Israel is God's son. And so he's calling out that behavior. He's telling people, you got to leave that behavior behind, repent, then prove that you've repented by being baptized to show that you are now ready for the baptism that's coming. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of 
fire. So that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Does your faith sound exciting? Are you excited about your faith? What you believe, what God has taught you, the things that you've brought in. Are you excited about Or, man, don't let your faith, don't let your faith be a box you tick off each week. I made it to church, made it to small group, read my Bible three times. I prayed a couple times. Don't let it be that. Your faith isn't meant to be a checklist. It's meant to be a fire that people can see, that demonstrates that something powerful, something supernatural has happened in your life. And so John is out and he's preaching this message, getting people ready. But he's, while he's doing it, he's looking for someone. And he doesn't know what. And I think we can identify with that, especially... Especially in you guys who are younger, you're just getting kicked off in your life and you're trying to find your place in the world and your purpose and all that kind of stuff. I've been there, uh, and, and you know what? I'm 50 now, and I, sometimes I'm still looking for you know, the next thing I'm supposed to do. But I remember in my 20s or something, God had called me to preach and, and, uh, and to, to minister to his church. And man, I had all these visions of what it was going to be. Wyoming was not in the vision list, by the way. <laughs> wasn't there. And uh, <clears throat> I had all these ideas of what God was going to do and, and where he was going to take, take me, but I, I, I was looking. And so if you are looking for something, and you, can't, you haven't quite got your finger on it, and you can be 20 or you can be 97, and you're still looking, we're going to find it. We're going to find it. Okay? So here's John looking. What I love about John is he doesn't even know what he's looking for yet. That's what I, I love the honesty of the Bible, guys. If you grew up in a church that gave you this really PG version of the Bible, I'm real sorry. Welcome to Ordinary Faith. We are going to crank this thing up on you, okay? And it's going to get real because God doesn't mess around and God doesn't play church. God, God, God wants something real and fiery in your life. So, <clears throat> so John, John's baptizing every day. And I bet every baptism was pretty cool for John. I love to baptize people. It's a kick. I really love it when dads baptize their whole families. That's really fun. Or when small group leaders baptize people in their groups that have come to faith. That's really fun. But I, I love it. And I bet John loved it. But every day, he had this word from God. And this word from God was, one of these days... You're going to baptize somebody, and the Spirit is going to, you're going to visibly see Holy Spirit come down on that person. And so, and, and here's what John is thinking. I bet John's thinking like this. I got no idea what that looks like, because he's been filled with the Holy Ghost before birth. Let that mess with your theology. <laughs> he's been filled with it before birth, and so he's going to see it, and I bet he has no idea what, he, what it's going to look like, but he also knows that when it happens, I'll know. I'll know. So one day, he's out baptizing, dunking people, immersing them is what I believe was happening, because they were probably coming up better than Dill, but it's a different deal. Dill, Dill, sorry. <sighs> he's out baptizing, and out of the crowd comes his cousin, Jesus. Jesus was John's cousin, six months younger than John. 
Now, there is a lot of bad theology about pre-baptism Jesus, guys. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. The Word of God plainly states that's his first miracle. He didn't have adolescent miracles, you know. So when, when Jesus comes out, we know he's impressive because of what we're about to read. But John does not think initially that anything different's going to happen here. So we find out in John chapter 3 verse I mean Matthew 3 verse 14, Jesus comes out and sees John and here's what John says to him. J- Jesus had just asked John to baptize him and John tried to talk him out of it. You ever thought about that? John the Baptist baptizes people. It's in his name. <laughs> That's what he does. Jesus comes out of the crowd. It's his cousin, six months younger. And John tries to talk Jesus out of getting baptized. So that tells you what kind of life Jesus was living up to that point. That people were taking notice of of the way Jesus connected with people, talked to people, whatever it was. There was something about Jesus that stood out. And so John's literally trying to talk Jesus out of getting baptized. Also, it is a testimony of the fact that Jesus lived his entire life without sin. I should throw that out there. This is one of the proofs that Jesus lived without sin because here's John who's nailing everybody to the wall over their sin. The Pharisees, the professional religious dudes, John's nailing to the wall over their sinfulness. Jesus walks out and John tries to talk him out of it. Crazy. Comes out. John tried to talk him out of it. Says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me. <clears throat> so he comes out, John tries to talk him out of it. Here's the thing. Before we even get to the Messiah, John the Baptist, an Old Testament prophet, has to learn to obey Jesus. Before we get to Holy Spirit and fire, the very guy who's supposed to announce that Jesus is coming has to do what Jesus says, even though he disagrees with what Jesus said. John disagreed with Jesus. You see that, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pointing out anything rocket sciencey here. You know, there's no Greek involved. It's just words and pages and stuff. So this is how we know what happened, because John goes on and tells the story later in John chapter 1, verse 3. John says, I didn't know Jesus was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he said, the, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will Baptized with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. What I need you to see is that the one that John said was going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire was Jesus, and in order for us to get to that, John had to do what Jesus said. John had to obey Jesus. He had to do something he didn't want to do, baptize Jesus. You're with me? Simple. Simple. So let's take this back to our particular course, where we're at. We're searching. God tells us stuff. We kind of take an, a, an equal with God approach. And we want God, we ask God, we demand God prove himself to us before we do anything. And God's telling us always that the, the miracle, the Holy Spirit, the fire, the whatever, the promise, 
never comes before the simple act of obeying God. Guys, this is why the Bible is challenging for people and they have a hard time reading it. And, and they have a hard time reading it because they can't stay focused, they lose it. They're... If you read the Bible with the goal, the express desire to do what it told you to do, you would have no more problems get understanding the Bible. It would it begin to make a lot more sense to you. A lot of times we read the Bible like it's an academic class. Well, yeah, there's plenty of academics to God's Word, but in the end, it doesn't matter what you know. It matters what you do. You can know everything in the world, and if you never take that step, you're never going to know the promises and the power and the Spirit and the fire that Jesus promised. So as you are on your journey, whether you're younger or older, doesn't matter. If you're going to find the one thing that's worth everything, it begins with listening to Jesus and doing what he says. Real simple. It begins with that. So there's your search. So what are you searching for? What is consuming your life? Something's consuming your life. It might be just getting by. It might be surviving. It might be a life filled with drama. It might be a pursuit of something. It might be a, a calling. It might be anything. But I promise you, something is burning up your life. I can tell because every week, we all get older. Our energy dissipates. I'm a lot tired at 50 than I was at 30. The Bible says in Lamentation 1.13 that God sent a fire from heaven that burns in my bones. You all have a fire. You were created to contain a fire. You're all like a wood stove. You're all designed to burn. A few years ago, uh, I guess it was two years ago, I think it was pre-COVID. might have been last year. I don't know. Who knows? COVID's got me all jacked up, so I don't know. But I called up a friend of mine I hadn't seen in a while. I won't tell you his name. Jason, you watching? And I called him up and said, hey, I just want to check on you. I'm coming over. And I forgot that you, have that, you, ever, you guys have a friend that if you go see them, they're going to throw you in their truck and drag you out in the wilderness somewhere? That's my friend, Jason. So, so I call him, yeah, come on over. I thought we were going to drink coffee and talk. I get there. He's loading up uh, his new rifle, and he's gathering uh, a small plastic bucket of something wonderful. Tannerite. <laughs> I'd never used Tannerite before. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Then, then he grabs, you know those camp bottles of propane, those little green ones you put on grills? Grabs one of those, duct tapes the Tannerite to the propane bottle. I'm like, nothing can go wrong here. I see no problems now. We hop in the truck and we drive out in the desert. And this was, uh, let's see, I can't remember if it was late winter or early winter, but there was some snow on the ground, but there's also a lot of exposed grass. And we go out and he wants me to shoot his new rifle and we're talking about God stuff and family stuff and all these things. And we get out and, and uh, he wants me to take the shot. You know, he, he, he likes to make fun of how badly I, he shoots 1,000 yards, I shoot 20 feet, you know, and so... <laughs> He, he set it out there 100 yards or so, and, and he has a nice scope on it, and he has me shoot it. So I shoot, and I missed the tannerite and only hit the propane. And so it's And I said, well, listen, let me take another shot. And before I said anything else, I took the other shot. That time I hit the tannerite, and the desert went aflame with the glory of God. 
That propane had squirted out in the air and it was like a firebomb. And now the desert is on fire. And what turned into a pastoral visit is now a firefighting escapade, man. We are grabbing shovels and we're, you know, water and dirt, whatever. We're throwing snow because we don't want to get caught. <laughs> John, can you come get me out of jail? <laughs> Haven't had to make that call just yet, you know. So, uh, uh, you know, what was supposed to be an hour visit turned into a 45-minute fight for our lives. And uh, luckily there was snow and, and everything was fine. And there's a patch of the desert that's the greenest it's ever been in uh, that spring. Why well, tell you that story? Fire gets out of control. If Jesus is going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and in fire... He means that there's something that's going to impact and fill and fuel our lives that you can't control. And, and it's going to get bigger than you and it's going to overwhelm you. And so, what do you expect your faith to be like? Sometimes I think we expect faith to be like your favorite flannel shirt. And that might be a guy thing. You girls might not be able to connect with that at all. I don't know, but... But I'm sure all you, you ladies that have husbands, I bet, you, uh, I bet he has a favorite shirt. And I bet, nine, nine to one odds, that you hate it. <laughs> and, it's, and a lot of people treat their faith like the favorite shirt, you know. They get it out, they get it on Sunday, it's comfortable. It kind of gives them a, 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 a step back into life for a minute and, and kind of reconnects them to some comfortable, happy place in their life. And so it's, it's comfortable. But does it fuel you? That's what I want to know. If Jesus said, and John said about Jesus, that he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire, then our faith should fuel us. It shouldn't just be a comfort. It should be a power. It shouldn't just be something that is a, an accoutrement to our life or an accessory that we go and reach into. It should be something that drives everything we do and fuels everything we do. So if you're searching for something and you don't know what it is yet, of course I recommend Jesus. Of course I want you to think about Jesus. So what are you searching for? And then, then I want to move from what are you searching for to what are you sharing? What are you sharing? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the beginning of faith right there, by the way. God raised Jesus from the dead. We're going to get into that in detail in October. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. This is the disciples in Acts, right after Jesus had ascended. They had all met, seen him. We have all these witnesses. Corinthians tells us over 500 witnesses to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And now he's exalted the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see in here today. So you see, Jesus came to earth... You know, John had a mission. His mission is to finger the Messiah. That's him. Look, that's him. Jesus also had a mission, and Jesus' mission was to give God to us. His mission was to take the Holy Spirit that God gave him and pour it out on us. When you think of pouring out, does that sound stingy or meager in any way? Like, you're just, we're just pouring it out. If you're pouring something out, you know there's plenty, you've got access, and you want your people to have tons of it. They're overwhelmed with it. You want to baptize them in it. 
And so you pour it out. So Jesus spent his life, yes, he spent it to share with us salvation, truth, hope. He came to give it. He came to rise from the dead. He came to ascend to the Father. And he came to return to us the Holy Spirit and pour the Holy Spirit into us. Jesus came to share something powerful, something God, something with us. So I ask myself, as I'm thinking about Jesus sharing, I ask myself, well, what am I sharing in life? I don't know if any of you guys like Proverbs. And I'm going to tell you, if, if you are wanting to start reading the Bible, Proverbs is, is not a bad place to start if you really kind of struggle with some of the crazy stuff in the Bible. Because Proverbs is pretty logical, reasonable, very just a lot of natural wisdom in Proverbs. And, and so it's a good place to start. But there's a proverb that says, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. And what this proverb is kind of showing is, you get what you give in life. Whatever you share comes back. And so I began to think, what am I sharing in life? Jesus came to share love, joy, peace, truth, power. What do I share? A lot of complaining. I share a lot of complaining. <laughs> I share a lot of whining. Share a lot of just down. I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at the state of the world right now, and I'll tell you what, guys, I, I don't know if, this, if I should even tell you this, but you know me, I'm too transparent to keep my mouth shut, so here we go. I've been looking at this world like it's going to blow up forever, you know? I mean, it's ever since I read Revelation at like 13 and read it for myself, I looked at the world going, this cannot end well. <laughs> this cannot end well. In 1987, I was only 17 years of age, and you had the, uh, the stock market had that black money, whatever it is, and everything began, oh, this is it, this is it. And then the end of the 90s, the tech bub, oh, this is it, this is it. 2001, the towers, the market's collapsing, this is it, it's got to blow up sometime. 2008, I still don't know how we got out of 2008, I ain't going to lie, man. I, I don't know, they printed so much money, that's all I know, they just printed so much money. I had no idea, if I had my own printing press, I would have no financial problems, that's all I know. And it just keeps going. And so I look at this world and I see where things are, and, and I watch the stock market, it's interesting to me, but I look at it and I go, this is the biggest lie perpetrated on America today, is the state of our economy. And I, so I get negative, and that's what I share. I share fear, share lack, share grumbling. Ah, so I don't want to share that. I want something new to source my life. The Holy Spirit, the fruits, the evidence that He's there. These aren't things you can just go out and try to make happen. They're fruits. They're evidence. It's like you can plant a garden, but you can't go out and make the strawberries grow. Your neighbors will have something done to you. <laughs> but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control. That's the Holy Spirit. That's how you know He's in the house. And when you look at Jesus' life, that's all He gives, man. They're, they're going to nail him to a cross. What's he pumping out? Fear? Anger? Wrath that they're going to nail him to a cross? No. Love. He's pumping out love. Joy. Peace. He's okay with it. Why? Well, Jesus' faith was bigger than his problems. Jesus' Father was bigger than the cross he was going to go face. 
And the cross is pretty big. And so I, I, I ask myself, what am I sharing? Because what I want to be. So a couple years ago, or maybe it was, yeah, it was a couple years ago, we went to Dave Limmer's church and they had a leadership conference and they had some people sharing some, uh, some words of knowledge over each other. And this couple shared over Christy and I, this is going to sound funny if you know me at all, shared over us that Christy and I were going to be joy bringers. And I laughed. I'm the pain bringer. I am not the joy bringer. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm pity, sorry, whatever, but that's not me. And, and, but, but I'm learning. You've got to learn to receive things from God. You can't, you cannot deny things from God just because they don't fit where you are right now. God likes to grow you into his promises. So I'm not the joy bringer yet. I'm the grumpy. I can do grumpy great. If you need a grumpy birthday party, call me. We want our child to be miserable this year. Come on over, pastor. Let's read Revelations together, boys and girls. <clears throat> what if you and I shared from a source other than what we're afraid of and what we don't have enough of? And we shared from a place with others of joy and peace and goodness. And what if we were joy bringers when we went to work, when we went to Walmart? Walmart brings out the worst in my behavior. I don't know if it's like a spirit on the place. I don't know. If I'm walking into Walmart, I'm mad. You probably don't want to talk to me, right? Just saying. <laughs> hey, pastor, how are you doing? <laughs> it's not you. It's not you. It's Walmart. The place is possessed. No, I'm just kidding. What if I went in there and rather than let that place make me grumpy, what if I brought joy to that cashier who's listened to a hundred people gripe about how slow she is today and gripe about stuff she has no control over and she's probably got a few kids at home that she has to take care of as soon as she gets off work. See, this may be her second job. She's trying to just hold her family together. The last thing she needs is grumpy, Michael, showing up, griping about stuff she can't control. What she needs is Jesus to show up. That's right. She needs Jesus to show up and bring some love and some joy, some understanding, some compassion, and some care to her life because it's probably difficult enough without me making it worse. What if you and I realize that we're looking for something a lot bigger than just going to church or a religious habit? We're looking for something fiery and passionate, something that fuels our life. And what if out of that, we, we begin to carry into our world this love and this joy and this compassion, this care, this understanding that we could give to other people? What if you were known as the person at work, and they may not use this word, but you walk in and they were glad you were there? Because when you show up, the spirit gets a little lighter and the room gets a little brighter. Why? Because you're bringing the light of the world in the house everywhere you go. Because you're the light of the world. Fueled by Jesus himself. You're looking for something and it's Jesus. You're here to share something that's also Jesus. So let me wrap it up. We're not almost done, but let me wrap it up with this. Acts, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we, you a follower, are you a follower? A follower in Tennessee, y'all. 
You a follower of Jesus? Is, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Are you following him? Because if you are, then you are receiving a kingdom. You are receiving a kingdom. A kingdom. Not a democracy. Not a communist state. Not a socialist state. You are, you're receiving a king. A monarchy. And a kingdom. That's the only government that lasts forever. You're receiving this kingdom that cannot, cannot be shaken. You're citizens of that kingdom right now. You are there in a real, more real sense than you are here. And so you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, so let's be thankful. Let's worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming, say it, fire. fire. There's one coming after me that isn't going to baptize you in water. He baptized you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Hebrews 12, our God is a consuming fire. Who are you really baptized into? Your Father. The fire of God. That's not just a life changer. That's an eternity changer. That's a world changer. And if that doesn't excite you, then it's because you don't know what you've been given and you don't know what's available to you. And if you do know, you don't believe it. And that is the challenge of being a Christian in our world today is learning to believe God's Word over your circumstances. Believing what's happening in heaven... When, didn't Jesus preach, teach us to pray? To pray that what happens in heaven happens here? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. To believe, to begin to believe that the power of heaven is, is powerful here and now in our lives. And so we need to move to a place and a way of thinking that we begin to realize that we, we cannot be shaken. Now, I'm going to tread softly here. Because I know many of you are going through some shaking things. And I haven't had the best year myself. It's been good, and it's stunk at the same time. You, you, you have years like that? Really good, really bad all at the same time? Had that. And so there's these circumstances in our lives. And here's how they lie to you. They say things like to you, well, see, you're suffering. You're having some challenges. God must not care. If God were really good, you wouldn't be going through this. Your circumstances are lying to you about the goodness of your Father. And so what I want to see, what we have to see, what we have to see in the church in America today is we have to see a faith that is so overwhelming in the lives of individual believers that it overwhelms their circumstances. What's happening now is we're getting overwhelmed by our circumstances. We're having things come into our life that aren't fitting in with the story of God's goodness and God's kindness and God's grace upon us. They're not fitting in with Jesus' love for us and the love of God in our lives. Those circumstances are telling us these lies and we're letting those circumstances mow down our faith. And daily, Christians are walking away from their faith. Pastors are walking away from their churches. Leaders are walking away from ministry. It's a daily thing. It's been going on for decades and it's just gotten worse. 
Something is overwhelming faith, and there's a problem with that because Jesus didn't come to baptize us in water. He came to baptize us in power, the Holy Spirit, and in fire. And so that means you are equipped through the Word of God, the truth of God, the power of God in your life to overwhelm your circumstances. Now, again, got to tread carefully here because some of you are struggling. You're hurting. You're in pain. And you don't know what to do. I get it. I get it. Overwhelming your circumstances with faith has nothing to do with your feelings. It may not have anything to do with the doctor's report or the bank account balance or the marriage you're in or your children that you're trying to raise. What it is, is this is how the writer of Hebrews put it. It says there is this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. And it leads us through the curtain. He's using the imagery of the most holy place. And he's picturing something that would have been completely foreign to a Jew's thinking. The idea of a person, he's giving you an anchor. You connected to the anchor through something. He's not really drawing that analogy. But that it pierces through into the most holy place where the only Jewish people that ever went in there were those who were the actual high priest. Regular Jews didn't get to go in there. And he's saying that there is an anchor you have directly into the throne of God, the throne of mercy. And that is what keeps you unshakable. See, the great thing about being a Christian, it's just like being born in this life. You guys, a lot of your parents, and you remember when your first child was born, or your second, your third, very few of you remember your eighth, like I do, but you know, you try, I get it. And you have this child, and when they come into the world, they're beautiful, and, and, and however God brings them to you, but they, they, have, they have the same equipment you do. They, they probably have hands and eyes. They may not have hair yet, but you may not have hair at this point either. And you're looking at this little person, and they're born. Their first birth, they're born. And they have no idea how to use any of their stuff. They don't know how to use their hands yet. They smack their face. They get their face bleeding. They, they can't use their eyes yet. They can't walk yet. They, they, all they can do is lay there and let you take care of them and fuss at you for doing a bad job. <laughs> and I contend that being born again is about the same thing. That you, you are born again into this new life into a new kingdom with a higher set of laws and with a greater set of power and a deeper fuel. But you don't know how to use it yet. You don't know how to see yet. You don't know how to use those hands to get a hold of the throne room of God. You don't know how to see the glory. You're, you're a baby. And that's why Peter said to, to desire the sincere milk of the word. And he was pointing us, yes, to scriptures that they had access to, but he was also mainly pointing us to Jesus himself as our teacher and connector. And so I, I want to challenge all of us, and my challenge to myself, as I look at what's going on in the world, as I may have some fear about what we're going to face as the future wears on. I wish I could tell you I'm fearless. I don't, I'm going to stand for Christ no matter what. I'm kind of a chicken, and I don't like pain, so I'm a little worried. 
I'm allergic to pain. It, I break out in screaming. <laughs> but I'm born again. I have the life of Jesus in me through the connection and the pouring out, the liberal pouring out of the Holy Spirit. I have the Father in me, the consuming fire consuming my life. I have already experienced God's grace many times. The day, I'll never, I'll never be able to describe what it was the day that we found out Cayman had Down syndrome, and here we have a special needs child, and you could literally feel, I, I, I bet you guys went through this too, you could feel the grace of God empower you to be a parent to this child. You could feel it. And so I have no doubt that whatever comes, that God's children will rise up and they'll be faithful. And they'll be like those Afghani believers last week who had received their letters from the Taliban and chose to meet for prayer anyway. I know that that is because you are not baptized in mere water. You're baptized in fire. At the river next week, I love the river baptism. One, it's cold. <laughs> just does a pastor's heart good to hear him come up shouting. That's <laughs> just does. He said, Michael, that's mean. It's cold on me too. I'm from Tennessee, so that water just freezes me rigid, man. So, but it's. It, I think it's a better picture of what it is to follow Jesus. Because when I, when I get the privilege to lay the old man down for somebody into that cold, overwhelming, take-your-breath-away water. <gasps> You've all been there because you're in Wyoming. and That's the only kind of water they have here. <laughs> take-your-breath-away water. And their breath is taken away. It's kind of like dying. And then you raise them up. And the water drains off of them and you're raising this symbolically new creature. And they've just been overwhelmed with what God has done. And that is a deep, powerful lesson of what God will do. Do you understand? Being overwhelmed by frigid river water is an example of how it is to live the Christian life. You'll connect with God, and He will overwhelm you. This is a norm of following Jesus. You'll be listening to some song. I love to listen to worship music because I like to annoy demons. Cayman likes king and country, and he likes to annoy me. <laughs> But you listen to those songs and different worship music, and I love the old hymns too. I love it all. Anything that's, that talks about Jesus and magnifies Jesus touches me. Even stuff I don't like. Like, is there a Christian country music? In the 80s, that was, that was sacrilegious to listen to country. I know I said that in Wyoming, I'm in trouble, but my point is, is that you have those moments where you get overwhelmed with the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the life of God. And what I want us to do, this is my challenge to you, to me. I want us to stop being overwhelmed by our circumstances. 
I can't stop the circumstances. I can't end the suffering. Christians have to have a theology for suffering and a theology for miracles. We have to have both. And so, I can't stop the suffering, but what you can do and what I can do is we can begin to overwhelm our problems with our faith. I am not saying your problems aren't big. I'm just saying that God is bigger than your problem. That's all I'm saying. He's bigger than your problem. And here's the answer to that, by the way. If you guys are in the thick of it, the answer is worship. Our God's a consuming fire. Let's worship Him in reverence and awe. Because what we do is we worship our problem. Look at my big problem. I do this to Steve all the time. Steve's not the most compassionate sort (laughs) with me. And I'll go to Steve. Steve, look at this big problem. It's a giant problem. It's a big problem. It's just a problem. God's bigger than all problems. And if only I could learn to instead of go look at my big problem, what if I could just learn? Look at my big God. Look at this fire that fuels my life. Look at the Holy Spirit. Look at the fact that you may be going through, I may be going through difficult times, sorrows, pain, fear, but in the midst of that, I have love, joy, peace. That's when you know you are really being fueled by the Holy Spirit. You'll be in the middle of your chaos. And you'll be like, okay. We can do this. It's okay. Thank God. And here we go. Father, I ask you to renew our wonder, restore our hunger, I pray, Lord God, that you would enable us to encounter you in the midst of our suffering. I pray that you would comfort us to know that no matter what we suffer, no matter what we have to 